0: Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I've invited everybody to join us for worship at 830 and 11. uh, But right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic. And so we are not having worship in our building at 830 and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. We continue with our gospel reading.
1: The gospel reading is from John chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die.
0: Thank you, Pam. Uh, For the sermon, I have this quote, and you're going to see this in the sermon also. You may choose to look the other way. But you can never say again that you did not know, and it comes from William Wilberforce. So you might know that name. I won't say who it is now. We're just going to get right into the sermon. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, Before we begin, just a bit on uh, building up our biblical literacy. None of us are as biblically literate or as familiar with the Bible as we should be, and this passage is, is a great way to do that as uh, one of the things we can do is understand the different characteristics of the Gospels. We've talked about Mark before as the shortest. It's almost there's an urgency to it. It's the first one written because the the time of Jesus, he has died and and he hasn't returned. And so it's almost as if we got to get these stories down before we lose them. There's a sense of urgency behind Mark. John's Gospel is now the last of the Gospels written. It's written to a community of people that uh, have been ostracized from their local synagogue, and so there's a lot of self-doubt going on. Did we make the right decision? Are we doing the right thing? And so John's Gospel is written almost in a sense of reassurance. There's a sense of certainty. Where in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is uncertainty portrayed throughout, even within Jesus. John's Gospel, everything, right, is happening as it should to give these people a sense of reassurance that they are okay. They've made the right decision to continually follow Jesus, even though they have probably severed some of the closest relationships they have had. And so you see that portrayed in this gospel when we get Jesus saying things like, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I've come to this hour. It sounds similar to when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says, take this cup from me, right? He comes and he he asks his his disciples to pray with him, then he goes off on his own, and you can sense there's a real uh, heartache within Jesus, a real struggle, I don't want to do this. Take it from me. And he finally comes to that, but if I need to, I will. John's gospel, that sense of struggle is greatly reduced. It's there a little bit. My soul is troubled, but it's not nearly as prominent. Because John's gospel is a sense of reassurance. We can even see that through the end of John's gospel. When Jesus is really in charge, he talks to Pilate, you don't have any power except the power that was given to you. So don't fool yourself. Or even when Jesus is on the cross, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? That's where we get that part from. Jesus saying, where are you in the midst of this? And in John's gospel, what we get is Jesus saying, it is finished. And now he commended up his spirit, right? Even to the very end. Jesus is in control in John's Gospel, and we can see an aspect of that here. Save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I've come to this hour. Just a bit of understanding about the Gospels. But I want to go back and talk about a passage that actually was from three weeks ago, because I think it does, it's just a good, this is what the Christian life is in my opinion. Uh, and how we really struggle with it. When Jesus says, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it just remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who lo- love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This came up just three weeks ago in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, when we hear those same, very similar words, those who love their life lose it, those who f- uh, lose their life lose for my sake, will find it. I watched a movie this past week. It actually is one of my favorite movies. I had forgotten about it. It's called Amazing Grace. It came out in 2007. It tells a story. Tells the story of William Wilberforce. You might know that name. Uh, William Wilberforce is uh, the way the movie portrays it. It was a one-man crusade. But I don't like saying that because it really diminishes the work of everybody else uh, that was with him. But about his crusade on ending the slave trade in England. Wasn't an easy thing. Didn't come to a civil war, fortunately. It came to a civil war here in the United States, right? And so there's some parallels, obviously parallels within why people wouldn't want the slave trade to end, but I'm going to focus more on England than the United States simply because I'm going to refer to the movie. But throughout it, it didn't happen overnight. In fact, over you know, at least a decade or so. William Wilberforce was on um, the house; it was in the House of Commons, Britain's government, and he kept talking about the horrors and the atrocities that were being incurred to the Africans as they are being brought over on slave trade on the slave ships, and how many had died, and the way they were treated, and how they were just tossed overboard. I mean, it just is gut wrenching if you uh, if you watch it. And people denied the existence of it. They would come up with accounts that said, no, they're treated really well. Look at this, as somebody that said they, they love being a slave. Or, um, but they denied the realities and the horrors of what was going on because they wanted to keep their life because a group of people greatly benefited from the slave trade. And so they denied the whores or they denied that slaves were really humans. And so it's okay to treat them this way because they're like animals. And so we, we don't worry about other animals and treat them an equal as humans. So why should we treat the slaves this way as well? And so continually, William Wilberforce is trying to educate these people on doing, on, on, on the slave trade, but like this. They don't want to lose their life. They like it. And so they're willing to come up with ways to justify its continuation. A big aspect of the work of the church is to continually be the prophetic voice and call out where injustices are going on to wake people up. One of the great quotes that I love, I wish it was portrayed in the movie, but it wasn't. But one of the things that William Wilberforce says when he's in the House of Commons as he's trying to uh, convince people to end the slave trade, having heard all this, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you do not know. You can choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you do not know. There are a lot of things that I would rather not know about. That I would rather be, um, well, the phrase ignorance is bliss. Isn't that true? When I do not know, then I do not have to care. Because if I care, then I need to do something about it. I'd rather not know. We are tasked with, as Christians, opening our eyes at the risk of disrupting our life that we love for the sake of the other. There's so many things in which we can talk about that are examples Um, in our world that we cling to certain lies because we don't want to change the way we are living. One that I'm going to use now, I hate it when people say, I'm not rich. And I'm tempted to say it also because it's just not true. If you have a bank account in respects to the rest of the world, you are rich. If you have a refrigerator, you are rich. But why do we say we aren't rich? We like to say we aren't rich because we know if we're rich, then we have responsibility. And so we'd rather deny a fact so we don't have responsibility to do something about it. It's easy to look back. We take that movie, Amazing Grace. It's easy to look back in something as black and white as the slave trade. And say it's obvious what they should or should not have done. What we need to do is look at things that aren't so obvious in our lives, um, and be willing to challenge ourselves. Because the world is not black and white. The world is really complicated. But that doesn't mean that there aren't right and wrong things, that there aren't ways in which, boy, we can be better. We should do better. We can't just let things continue on. And we need to own up to the reality that we are in, instead of denying it and playing the uh, "ignorance is bliss" card, or saying we don't even want to play that card, but instead we rationalize and justify so we can say we're enlightened but not have to do anything about it. The life of Christ, the life in Christ, is to be up, is to be woken up, awakened to the life that we've been given to challenge our most basic basic assumptions and to potentially see that there's a new life waiting for us? That's why this begins, right? A seed has to go down and die. It can't stay in its original form if it's going to come up and bear new fruit. We must ask ourselves continually, what must die within us? so that we can bear much fruit. And dying is not an easy thing to do. It means being turned upside down. It means uh, uncertainty. It means questioning things. It means, um, we've talked about being in this liminal space. I'm not what I once was, but I'm not what I am becoming. I'm in between and we feel raw and vulnerable. And that's the work that we're called to do. One of the things that I love about this movie, uh, Amazing Grace, the mentor of of William Wilberforce is John Newton. I don't know if you know the name John Newton. He was the captain of one of the slave ships uh, that ferried people across from Africa and brought them to whether it was England, whether it was to the West Indies at that time, whatever it might be. And John Newton realized the horrors of what he participated in, and he couldn't live with anymore. He enters a life of solitude and the life of the church. And during this time, he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. His old way of life was challenged and he realized how blind he was. And now he sees. The irony, as he goes through life, and the way it's portrayed in the movie, he becomes blind and literally loses his eyesight. But he's able to see better with no eyesight at that stage in his life than he ever had before in his life. That's what we're asked to do as Christians to do the hard work ourselves, right? That's why we had to go through and do the reconciling in Christ process to see where have we been wrong? Where have we done the harm? Where do we need to repent of our sins? Where do we need to say, wow, there's a new way of living and it might say we were wrong before. But now we know better, so we do better. I think that's a good thing. Not everything in our life will be as black and white as the slave trade. Or I think as black and white as um, views on same-sex relationships, or as we're coming to under a gender and what that means. As we learn more, we can do better. But we need to continually be asking ourselves, how can we learn more to do better? How do we take that quote from William Wilberforce? Having heard all this, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you do not know. What in our own lives do we need to know more about and not be afraid to learn? Not be, not be afraid to learn, knowing that when we know about it, it might, we might lose our life. And in this country, it may not be that we might literally lose our life like other Christians in other parts of the world, but we might lose our way of life. But in reality, maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe that's what needs to die, to be like that seed so we can actually bear much fruit. We should always be asking ourselves individually and collectively as a society, what needs to Boy, (laughs) the shootings from this... I want to say, what needs to die? I wish there was a better way because of the shootings that happened in Atlanta this past week. Someone thought someone else needs to die because of what was going on within them. How do we live that way? in our world that because of we don't want to change what's going on within us, we may not literally kill someone the way that was done, but other people are harmed because we don't want to change our way of life. We don't want to lose our life. I said this before in the summer as Christians, we lose the, the ability to say, that's my right. And instead we ask, what's right for my neighbor? This is what it means to lose our life. This is what it means to find our life in Christ. It won't be easy, but we trust it will be good, that we will be better for it. This is why we come together on a regular basis, whether it's in-person, whether it's virtual, whether it's however it might be. Because if we are left alone more times than not, if we're left to our own devices, right? But instead, how can we use the collective group to make better choices that are not just good for the individual, but are better for the collective community? That's what it means to find our life, to find our life in Christ. May you find your life in Christ and realize and see the beauty and goodness within it. Amen.